How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. And good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be back with you. This is none other than Michelle Jawando coming to you live from our studio in Washington, D.C. I hope you give us a call and join in the conversation. It's always better when you are a part. And if you want to join in, you can give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Or follow along on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle Jawando. I don't think anybody can say what a week anymore <laughs> because there's just too much that happens in any given week. Um, if you can think about it, last week we had the firing and then this beginning of this week we had the subsequent uh, firing of Scaramucci, who was the communications director at the White House. You have the military transgender ban last week. And this week, we're dealing with a host of issues from this administration. It is nonstop. And here on the Leslie Marshall Show, we are trying to break it all down. So earlier this week, the New York Times reported on a document that was floating around Jeff Sessions' Department of Justice, seeking new lawyers to work on a new project. Now, what is this project? Well, this is focusing on race-based affirmative action, or as the DOJ called it, intentional race-based discrimination in college and university admissions. But the kicker here, ladies and gentlemen, is we're not talking about students of color. We're not talking about women, actually. We're actually talking about <clears throat> white students and claims of reverse Racism. Uh, this in wrong-headed description is consistent with earlier statements we heard from Sessions that came up in his Senate confirmation hearing, where he worried about the quote-unquote threat to racial harmony if people were denied college admissions simply because of their base. Now, also earlier this week, Gallup poll came out and said that Donald Trump is again at some of the lowest ratings of his administration, including with non-college educated whites. And many see this as a ploy and a dog whistle to that community. So joining me to break this all down is none other than Dina Robinson Mock. She is a program officer at Communities for Just Schools Fund. She has been a civil rights attorney attorney with over a decade of experience. Uh, she's worked on issues related to the school to prison pipeline at organizations like the Advancement Project and was previously the executive director of Kids Rethink New Orleans Schools. Dina, always great to have you on. Welcome back. Thank you. Happy to be here. 
And you can find Zena on Twitter at Zena, T-H-E-N-A-R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N. Another friend joining us to the show. Uh, if you don't know and if you don't follow Ian Milheiser, you are missing out. Ian Milheiser is a senior fellow here at the Center for American Progress, where he writes on issues around the Constitution and the judiciary. You can find him on Twitter at I-M-I-L-L-H-I-S-E-R. Ian, welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. Great to be back. Thanks so much, Michelle. Okay, so Ian, I'm going to start with you because I think you have a knack for calling out the inane in this administration. Yep. Um, it's a, I think it's a special gift you have, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> a, a talent that your mother may have given you. Uh, when you first heard and saw the headlines about Sessions DOJ coming out with this policy, what's the first thing you thought about? You know, I mean, I wasn't even surprised. I, I mean, the, the the idea that Jefferson Beauregard Sessions is going to turn the Civil Rights Division into the White People's Rights Division just doesn't surprise me in the least, given what we know about the Attorney General's record. I, I think it, it's very concerning um, because there's a lot of things in current law that opponents of affirmative action can use to really damage affirmative action programs if they have lots of resources to throw at the problem. And now they have the resources of the United States Justice Department on their side. So this is really disturbing um, if you believe that we should have diverse campuses. Um, but it's not surprising. I mean, we know who the Attorney General is. This is exactly the sort of thing that he would do. So, Dina, let me bring you into this conversation, because I think as a backdrop, um, it's important for people to realize you spent most of your career looking at issues from K through 12, where we see education disparities as soon as young people step foot into a classroom. And when you think about the role and why we put affirmative action policies in place, much of it was about creating equity for our students. And that without question, is being lost in this conversation right now. Absolutely. Um, when we look at the historical legacy of, of discrimination and racism in this country, education, I think, is is that place where you can see all of that play out. And being in that K-12 through space, you, you recognize and know that um, schools, many schools around this country are underfunded, starved of resources. It's not a level playing field. And Affirmative action, you know, is a policy that's been put in place to really address that historical legacy of uh, racism in this country. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I so agree with Ian. I was not surprised at all either. Um, I think it sort of underscores and answers the question of when folks said, when, when, when uh, Trump said, what do you have to lose um, <laughs> targeted to African-Americans? Well, this is an example of what we have to lose. Um, and, and, and it's very consistent with um, what we've seen out of this DOJ with rolling back everything from criminal justice reform to mass incarceration, all of those things intersect with education. And um, absolutely, I mean, affirmative action has been in place to address those issues. And it's well-settled law. So the fact that we're having this discussion now is, is very troubling. Well, you know, I think about the fact that even last term, the Supreme Court again affirmed that race was one of many factors that colleges and universities could use um, in considering college admissions. But when you really think about who who 
ease in our most selective elite institutions, um, there's a great picture rolling around the internet that said, listen, if you really want to worry about who's getting into school and who's not, what we should do away with are legacy admissions. Um, and if you uh -huh. look at, at most elite institutions, legacy admissions outnumber the um, people attending those schools more so than even students of color. And Ian, you know, you've often written about uh, one of the most uh, glaring examples of affirmative action in the White House. Jerry Kushner. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, here's this guy who, you know, got to go to many of the best schools in the country, you know, apparently not because of that much merit. He's now been given an extraordinary portfolio where he's supposed to do things like find peace in the Middle East based solely on the fact that that, that he has a father. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if, if we wanted to discuss a world where factors, no factor other than SAT score and GPA would, would play into college admissions, we can have that conversation. But that's not what this conversation is about. This conversation is about still keeping legacy admissions. It's about still keeping the person who's a good football player. It's about still keeping the person who has a really good interview and is really charismatic but may not, may not have the best grades, but not letting diversity be a factor. And it's, it's disturbing. I mean, it's really, and I mean, even if you're not someone who thinks you stand to benefit from affirmative action, you know, I think what the Supreme Court said in the Grutter case should resonate, which is that all of us benefit um, from being in, you know, being in a diverse education setting. You know, I, I am white, and I went to school with people who were not white, and I learned a ton from them because they had different world experiences than me. And, and you know, if I had not had that experience of being in a more diverse classroom, I would have had a poorer education. I would have come into the world, um, you know, less prepared to do my job and less prepared to understand what was going on. And I don't see how that's good for anyone. So, Dina, we're going to get ready to go to break. But before we leave, you, you have written and done a lot of work about um, this kind of notion that by providing opportunities for some, you're inherently taking away opportunities for others. Um, what is this zero-sum game that this administration is is putting forth? How do you how do you reason with people who see each opportunity for some people as a denial of an opportunity for others? Yeah, um, it, it's it's troubling times. I think when it comes to to addressing that that question, and I think that. Um, what we can do is really just try to put out the correct factual information about what affirmative action is and why it was designed and how it um, benefits the entire uh, university community, for example, and not just one over the other. And, and, and really just clarify that confusion, because I think that even, even with, this, with this internal memo coming out and, and the direction of shifting of priorities, it's confusing the public to make folks think that there actually is something called reverse discrimination and perpetuates this lie of inferiority. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I think that we can, um, by putting out the, the correct information and having honest, real conversations about this issue, uh, that, that can be one way to combat um, some of the misinformation. This is Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show with Dina Robinson-Mock and Ian Milheiser. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, what does this mean moving forward? This is The Leslie Marshall Show.
Leslie Marshall, when the truth matters. Give her a call now at 888-6LESLIE. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. And welcome back. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you. Join in the conversation at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Or join the conversation on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle with one L, Jawando. So I'm back with my guests, Ian Milheiser and Dina Robinson-Mock. So Dina, um, we've seen this administration across a number of agencies really seek to roll back civil rights protections that Congress has put forth, um, that we've seen consensus, that we've considered settled law. Um, What does this mean moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it it means a couple of things. I mean, one, um, clearly this is a a major shift in direction and priorities of civil rights enforcement um, in this country, at least as far as the agencies are concerned. Um, I think it's going to be very important that those of us who are not working within these agencies, if we are, for instance, uh, policy advocates or civil rights attorneys or organizers and community-based organizations, we've got to hold folks' feet to the fire on these issues and make sure to demand um, both civil rights enforcement but also push um, in areas where we can. And so I think that Organizing and advocacy is incredibly important in this time, Um, but I think that we are going to, you know, he's showing us who he is, so we are going to continue to see these kinds of rollbacks, um, I think, as long as as, um, he's in power. And so I do think that it it becomes really important on the outside for us to make sure to push and, uh, and hold folks' feet to the fire. So, Ian, you and I kind of raised a clarion call about our concerns with sessions going into the DOJ. Yeah. Um, but in some ways, and it's and it's interesting that Trump has attacked sessions, um, but in some ways, Sessions has been one of the more effective members of his cabinet. Um, what would you say is the next thing you expect Sessions and his DOJ to really mm-hmm. work on, to really dismantle uh, protections that we've come to know during the Obama years? Well, the thing that really scares me is voting rights. Um, and, you know, you see with this Kobach commission running around trying to all kinds of information on who's on the voting rolls and who's registered to vote. Um, there's a federal law, and like it's not a very frequently used federal law, and it's not entirely clear how it should operate in many cases. But there's a federal law that in some circumstances does provide for purges of voter rolls when you have people who may not, you know, may no longer live where they originally registered to vote. And I, given, you know, the Kobach Commission, what it's doing, given what Sessions has said in the past, I think that they're going to try to use that law very aggressively to try to purge people from the voter rolls and not just to purge people who, like, legitimately have moved on and no longer live in the community where they once registered, but people who, frankly, still live there. And the reason they want them off the voter rolls is because they think if they vote, they'll vote for a Democrat. So, you know... 
how then do Democrats respond? You know, I, I when I think about this particular voter, I call it the Voter Suppression Commission. Um, right. We see in places like even Denver, Colorado, in excess of over 5,000 voters, because of the fear of their information being shared with this commission, have removed themselves to the voter rolls. How, how should you know, advocates and all those who kind of care about our democracy, how should they really respond? Yes. Well, let me start at the broadest level. And then that's, you know, if you are a U.S. citizen, you need to vote. Um, you need to make sure you're registered to vote in the community where, where you live. You need to, you know, show up. At the, you need to show up at the polls. You need to, you know, understand that there's going to be a primary and you should vote for whoever inspires you in the primary, and then you should vote in the general. Um, so that, that, that is the most important thing. I, I think for, for advocates, um, you know, there, there are potentially lawsuits that can be brought against the COBOC Commission to try to fi- figure out what it's doing. I think that state officials should resist the requests coming out of the COBOC Commission and should put up a fight because, you know, one problem that you could potentially have is that you could have, especially in red states, you could have the Justice Department bring a suit trying to purge the voter rolls, and then you could have a conservative voting official who says, well, hey, I want to do this. Here's my excuse. Let's enter into a consent decree with the Justice Department, and then I get to do this thing I've always wanted to do anyway. Um, So you need to have officials where possible stand up, and you need advocates to apply pressure to those state officials. You know, we need to pay attention to races like, you know, in some states, it's the secretary of state um, who is the uh, the chief voting official and make sure that we have secretaries of state or other chief election officials who aren't going to participate in the sort of stuff that uh, that Kobach is going to participate in. Um, and then we've got to make sure that, you know, especially if you are a lawyer, that you have the back of the people who um, are, you know, are being challenged by this Justice Department because they're going to need good, you know, these state officials, the, you know, potentially individuals who have um, malicious um, prosecutions brought against them. They need to have good legal representation, too, because they're about to be up against the full might of the United States. And, Dino, just to close out this segment, you know, I, I know you've spent a lot of time on the ground with organizations. What are you telling folks on the ground to do as we are dealing with this administration? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of groups on the ground, um, I'm thinking about youth groups, parent groups who organize around education and a, an array of issues around criminal justice and mass incarceration are really focusing on local advocacy efforts. So local politics, um, local policies, figuring out how to uh, push levers um, in the, it, right where you live. Um, and so we've seen a lot of progress around base building, political education. I have been really impressed with the ways in which young people have been organizing in this moment. And that's everyone from as, you know, as young as middle schoolers to um, college age uh, young people. Um, so in some ways, I feel encouraged that we've seen some of that momentum locally. Let's yeah, go. So that's, that's promising. All right. Zena Robertson-Mock and Ian Milheiser, thank you so much. When we come- Thank you. Follow Leslie on Twitter. 
Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Back. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando coming to you live on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you on the Leslie Marshall Show family. You can stay in touch and join the conversation giving us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Or you can join the conversation on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle with one L Jawando. So black women's Equal Payday was the hashtag that trended for most of Monday. And Monday, July 31st was unique, and it was the day that marked how far into 2017 black women have to work to earn the same amount of money as non-Hispanic white men made in 2016. We know that more Fortune 500 CEOs are more female than ever, but not a single one is a black woman. Black women make up less than 4% of our nation's judges. And with threats of legal action against affirmative action programs and reversal of Obama-era civil rights programs, this administration has acted in a manner hostile to say the least to a number of programs so joining me in studio to kind of break down this wage gap issues about black women's equal pay and how black women fare in this resistance moment um, and what that looks like for us. So joining us in studio, none other than Joy Cheney. She is the executive director at Equal Pay Today and founder of JOI Strategies. You can find her at JOI Tweet, T-W-E-E-T-S. Joy, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Michelle. I'm glad to be here. And Maya Ragu, who is the Director of Workplace Equality and Senior Counsel at one of my favorite organizations, the National Women's Law Center. You can find her on Twitter at Maya, M-A-Y-A underscore R-A-G-H-U. Maya, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. All right, ladies. So the first thing that I get when I get busy and my amazing intern, Sophia, um, who this is her last week, so sad about it. But as we were preparing for Equal Pay Day, Black Women's Equal Pay Day, putting things out on Twitter. And of course, the first troll says, there's no such thing as equal pay disparity or wage gap yeah exactly that's exactly how i feel um and joy this is what you do every single day so i do think that there is a question around understanding when we say equal pay what do we mean and what are we talking about when we say that there is this wage discrepancy between people well, when we say that, what we mean is there are most of the jobs in this country where women and men can be doing the exact same job and be paid less. That actually happens. There are lots of things that go into that, right? But some of it is discrimination and some of it isn't. And then when we say the wage gap, we may mean the difference not just between what you're being paid, but how what types of jobs women are able to take. Their ability to work in the way that they want to work, to stay on the job if they're pregnant, to be paid the same, or to be given the same hours, the same flexibility, and then when they have children, to be able to actually take care of their children and work at the same time. So many things go into it. There's equal 
equal pay and there's the wage gap. But the fact of the matter is there is a wage gap. Some of it is illegal. Some of it is just cultural. But it's one that if we're to have a successful nation, we have to close. So Maya, NWLC spends a lot of time both litigating and really looking at these issues of discrimination and how they're embedded in our work. Why is there such this resistance to even acknowledging these facts? Because that is, you know, how, how can we move forward if we can't come to a common understanding of, of where we are? Well, I think it's hard for a lot of people to acknowledge the history of institutional and systemic racism and, and sexism in this country. So that's one big thing. And, it, and it's hard to to feel to be made to feel like you're sort of complicit in it which is why i think there's so much pushback especially for men about it and it really drives me crazy when people say well you know there is no real wage gap it can just be explained by women's quote choices Mm -hmm. because you're having a child you want to leave early you yeah well not even that the types of jobs that women are Mm -hmm. concentrated in the hours they work it doesn't acknowledge that you know there are a lot of workplace structural issues and policies and practices that make it very difficult for women to enter into the same jobs as men that are higher paying and work the same number of hours, like not having access to paid leave or being, (laughs) you know, bearing the responsibility for childcare and caregiving. All of those have a huge impact on women's ability to be paid the same as men for doing the same work. So as we, if you're just tuning in, this is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. And I see my friend Ishmael wants to uh, ask a question. So actually, let's take Ishmael and then we'll, we'll go to break after that. Ishmael, welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. Hello, thank you so much for taking my call and greeting to your guests. You know, um, a while back, um, you were hosting a similar uh, uh, segment on, on Equal Pay, and, and I heard um, that um, companies can pledge, uh, they can sign a pledge where they will say that we're going to pay all our employees equally. Does that still exist? Is that a law, or is it just something that companies voluntarily um, 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 basically sign up for? Great question. So I can, I, this is Joy, I'll answer that. So yes, there was a pledge that was started in the Obama administration and then other uh, pay scale, other groups have created their own pledges. Those pledges are around, obviously it's not a law. It doesn't mean that you are bound by that if you sign the pledge, but uh, there are pledges out there. I know for me personally, I want us to move beyond pledges. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really important. But it, it's a it's a sign of where you're trying to go. But we want to see people actually putting their money where their mouth is. So having the pay audit at their own company, seeing if there is a wage gap, whether it's... Now, what's the pay audit, Joy? So a pay audit is when you look in your own company and you, you make some evaluations of whether you're paying men and women equally. And some companies expand that audit and look at other uh, ways in which they may be paying their employees disparately. And then the next step is if you find that there's a gap, doing what you can to actually close that gap. That's I'm, I'm looking for the... the, 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 the Solutions, solutions to it. And I know Maya has actually even written something on all the solutions that companies have been doing out there. Yeah, you know, pay discrimination is against the law, but it's really hard to uncover. So it's great to see that companies are taking their own affirmative steps 
um, doing pay audits, taking a hard look at their compensation practices and figuring out, even if it isn't intentional discrimination, like right. what are we doing within our company that's creating these disparities based on race and sex and how can we fix it? So, you know, some companies are doing these pay audits and saying, do we have a problem? And then actually taking steps to fix it, whether that means spending money to correct the wage disparities or restructuring their compensation systems and explaining to employees this is how we set your pay. This is how you get bonuses. This is how much, this is the range for how much people in your position make. All of which sort of demystifies the process. You know, information and sunlight is the best disinfectant. There you go. So let me ask this question. I, I think fondly of my time on the Hill, mm. uh, where I first worked with Joy. Yes. Um, and one of the earliest bills in the Obama administration was the Lilly Ledbetter Act. And that was to correct, um, I would say, a failure at the Supreme Court where an employee found out she was in the same position for years and years and was getting paid less than her male counterparts for the same work. If you are a woman today and you somehow uncover either through kind of gossip or if you watch Insecure, you opened up a colleague's <laughs> mail yep. by accident exactly. and found their paycheck, what do you do at that moment? And what would you recommend for women to do to find out the answer to that question? I'm glad you mentioned Insecure because I think, you know, the scene on that show that is frequently how women find out that they're being paid less. It's by accident, right. you know, mm -hmm. um, casual conversation, looking at a paycheck. I think assuming that it's safe to do this in your workplace, meaning that you're not going to get fired if you bring it up, which is a possibility, um, to first step is to talk to people, talk to coworkers, talk to your supervisor and say, hey, I, I found this out. And being able to make the case for yourself as to why you should be paid the same talk to um, HR. as your colleague or talk to HR um, and being able to say, I work hard. You know, here's how I've contributed to the success of this company. I deserve to be paid the same. Um, and that should be the first step. You know, no one no one wants to, like, immediately run and file a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't have the money to do that either. But you should also, want, if you've gone through your HR process and you're still not getting an answer, it is an option and a viable mm -hmm. one, a good one, to go to the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, EEOC.gov, where I worked in the Obama administration, and they can talk you through it, give some, and give some pre, even pre-filing a charge, be able to talk to you about it, so it's not like you go to them and the next thing you know your employer knows. You can engage with them a little bit before you file a charge and make sure that it is um, something that you want to do and that it's viable and you've looked at your, your facts. Um, and you can also, of course, call the National Women's Center. I'll give a plug for them. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to ask, what do we need to see our policymakers do to better address the wage gap and equal pay disparities? This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show talking to a bunch of friends. We'll be right back after the break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Keep Leslie in your pocket. Go to lesliemarshallshow.com forward slash members. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawanda on the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm back in studio with my guest, Joy Cheney. You can find her at Joy Tweets. And Maya Ragu of the NWLC. You can find her, Maya underscore Ragu, R-A-G-H-U. And you can find me on Twitter at Michelle1L Jawanda. Okay, so ladies, before the break, I mentioned, you know, there's a role that we as individuals can play. Um, obviously, a role for advocates. Um, I think awareness you know, this conversation that we're having today. So people even know that this exists, but our lawmakers to borrow a phrase from Beyonce need to get information (laughs) and get it together. Okay. So, you know, what have you seen, um, in a bipartisan fashion to address this issue? Uh, where have you seen kind of uh, wage either transparency efforts work. I, I'm thinking a little bit about New York that changed their policies so that you can't ask for pay history mm-hmm. because of the built-in um, wage discrepancies. Where are you seeing some of the best things from our policymakers? You want to go first? Sure. So one of the biggest things that's happening at the federal level is an Obama administration initiative which would collect pay data from large companies to on the basis of sex and gender, uh, sorry, gender and race and ethnicity, so we can uncover whether there are uh, wage gaps within a company. Um, And companies have to start collecting and reporting this data to the EEOC next year. The problem is some members of Congress um, and the business community are pushing back really hard and asking the administration to roll this back. So Earlier uh, in July, the House slipped in an amendment in an appropriations bill which would have defunded this pay data collection. Um, And it's going to go to the floor for a vote in September. So we're asking people to call out their members of Congress and ask them not to defund this. You know I love a good call out of (laughs) a member of Congress. You (laughs) know I love it. Um, And you can go to our website and there's a a way to contact your member of Congress there under action alerts. The other thing is that since earlier this year, business groups like the Chamber and others have been asking the administration to just roll this pay data collection back. So we and others have been, you know, asking the administration not to do that and and underscoring how important it is to have transparency around this issue. And interestingly enough, Michelle, this administration, at least through Ivanka Trump, have expressed some interest, you know. I don't necessarily trust it or believe it, but this is what's come out of at least one of their senior officials' mouths. Well, then, in order to do that, you actually can't just say it. You actually have to do something something about it. And the first thing you can do is to not undo a policy that is aimed at greater transparency. It doesn't do anything harmful to business. It simply says when you're filling out the EEO-1, as you do in other categories for other things, we want you to also collect pay data. The Obama administration was really good about making sure that the burden on business was reduced. So it's not its not that. There's no reason business should be pushing back, except that they're trying to hide the gap. What else are we supposed to think? It's so funny. So I think you guys know that um, my, I am the co-host of our Center for American Progress podcast, Thinking Cap, where mm-hmm. we say, you know, we're, we're seeking to bring back critical thinking. And what I think is so funny about the administration pushing back 
on collecting data is because we don't want information. Like, what kind of place are we now where it's like, oh, nope, I don't want information. <laughs> information <laughs> is right. bad. Oh, information bad. I don't uh, want people with expertise. Right. I don't want information. And the truth is because when they know, data. they know that we'll know and they have to do something about exactly. it. Mm-hmm. One other thing we have to touch on is what you touched on earlier, which are these prior salary bans that are really hitting the nation. We're seeing them pop up in cities and states and even in the federal level all over. And they are bans on the use of prior salary. And here's the thing there, women aren't the only ones who would be benefited from that. Anyone who's been um, impacted by pay discrimination, certainly they should not have to carry it like a knapsack from job to job, their pay discrimination. But also anyone who is seeking the American dream. Just people often leave jobs and try to get better ones so that they can earn more money to take care of their family. Why would you want to be held back, not because of your own qualifications, but because of what you were paid at your last job? That's antiquated. And I think that's why you're seeing businesses actually be okay with these bans on the use of prior salary and companies actually coming around. Unfortunately, the chamber is back at it again because they are pushing back on these bills in Philly, this bill in Philadelphia. Nowhere else. I think it's a test case to see how far they can get under First Amendment grounds. It's absolutely ridiculous. And organizations um, as a part of Equal Pay Today, been the women's law, led by the Women's Law Project in Philadelphia, are really fighting back through an amicus brief. And the city is fighting back. But everywhere else, these bills have been supported. And we're hoping to see them... Uh, spreading more. Mm. Maya. Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's great to see that most of the action around equal pay and pay transparency has really been in the states and cities across the country who've really taken up this issue, um, which is really important since our lawmakers at the federal level, um, having introduced the bill, can't seem to move it. Um, so we have the Paycheck Fairness Act at the federal level. We have another bill, a separate bill that would address Uh, bans on use of salary history. So, you know, the legislation is there. We just need our members to act on it. Let me ask a question that um, just came in over online. Um, We don't often talk about our salaries. You know, at work, it has been taboo. You don't talk about what you do. Um, You don't talk about how much you make. Um, But in some ways, do we see that kind of lack of sharing with our colleagues leading to the kind of built-in pay discrimination that employers have been able to, um, uh, in some ways, take advantage of? Nothing good happens in the dark. Mm. Right. Yeah, part of it, I think, is cultural. And then employers have taken advantage of that because in a lot of workplaces, um, there's either an implicit or explicit policy that says you can't discuss your your pay with your coworkers, and if you do you can be fired that's right and unfortunately what a lot of us do we start jobs right and we're all in the legal community we may start at a firm or start somewhere else and at that time you may have a sense of what people are being paid not always but we find that their pay the wage gap can start spreading a year after you even begin a job not understanding how people are being paid and the perks that they're being given that are that are beyond the ones that you even know about the pay gap is uh, complicated and that's why we're here talking about it yeah and it's not just about actual pay it's going back to what we were talking about before it's how are those decisions made who makes those decisions and they're not being any consistency or a lot of discretion and that's what helps keep all that information secret I also tell my young mentees as we get ready to the end of the show I could talk about this forever <laughs> um, 
But don't always think that this is just about how men perceive our work, that often we, then women, take on the same biases that have been oppressed with Absolutely. us. So Absolutely. just because you have a female boss or employee doesn't mean that you shouldn't bring these issues up to them. That's absolutely right. Women can certainly perpetuate the wage gap. Sometimes there's a notion of this is what happened to me when I was younger and they think that's normal. And so they do what has been done to them, not necessarily even intentionally. Right. It can certainly happen. Uh, there are certain things that we accept from men uh, that we don't accept from women. And, and um, you know, negotiating is a good thing. But sometimes when women negotiate, it's perceived differently. That's right. So absolutely. Even when they're negotiating with other women. That's right. Even when they're negotiating with other women. Maya and Joy, you guys were great. Ask, talk about it. Transparency is a great thing. This is Michelle Jawanda on The Leslie Marcher Show. Always great to be with you. We'll be back soon. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Michelle. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.